All right, so we are going to continue with uh, our study of Mark. So if you've got your Bible, please go ahead and open up to that. Um, Mark chapter 9, I'm going to go ahead and read through it, uh, verses 2 through 13. Again, I'd love for you to be able to follow along as we walk through this so that you can absorb more of the teaching and you can really learn from hopefully what God's teaching us through this passage. So Mark 9, starting at verse 2, I'm going to have it up here on the screen as well. Starting at verse 2, it says, And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his clothes became radiant, intensely white, as no one on earth could bleach them. And there appeared to them Elijah with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. And Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. And he did not know what to say, for they were terrified. And a cloud overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. And suddenly, looking around, they no longer saw anyone with them but Jesus only. And as they were coming down the mountain, he charged them to tell no one what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. So they kept the matter to themselves, questioning what, was, what, what this rising from the dead might mean. And they asked him, Why do the scribes say that first Elijah must come? And he said to them, Elijah does come first to restore all things. And how is it written of the Son of Man that he should suffer many things and be treated with contempt? But I tell you that Elijah has come, and they did to him whatever they please, as it, it is written of him. You know, this, this passage, it really makes me think of the Wizard of Oz, because Jesus transforms. I mean, it's like this most incredible thing. I mean, you remember, uh, you know, the Wizard of Oz, he, he appears to them in his whatever uh, uh, throne room, and there's fire and lights and a big loud voice and this weird green head up on the, up on the, um, the back, you know, like, I don't know what the heck was going on there, but it's pretty amazing. And then the second time they see the Wizard of Oz, Toto, notices a curtain he goes over and pulls open the curtain to reveal that actually it's just this normal guy behind a curtain it was all trickery it was all sleight of hand just kind of magicians kind of stuff and i think of that because this is like the reverse of that you know with with the wizard of oz we've got an ordinary man who's cloaked and and covered up by uh, you know, incredible show of trickery and sleight of hand kind of magic. But with Jesus, we have the Son of God, the Son of Man himself, actually cloaked in an ordinary Jewish man. And he peels back the curtain here for a moment. And he allows these three apostles to see the full glory. And of course, you know, the Wizard of Oz, he, 
he promises them these these great things, but he can't actually do those to them. All he can do is uh, just a little psychoanalysis, and he uses a little common knowledge, you remember, and he, he gives the the scarecrow a brain by just saying, hey, here's a diploma. And then all of a sudden, out of the scarecrow comes all this knowledge. And then uh, he, he gives the, um, the, the lion a, uh, a, 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 a military award, you know, to, to say, hey, the only thing that you're lacking is just an award to show that you really are courageous. And then with the tin man, he gives him a, a token, a, a, uh, I think he called it a testimony, so that uh, uh, proof that, that he cared and that he loved other people. But that's not how it works with Jesus. Jesus is not just a psychoanalyst who gives us common knowledge. He, he's a miracle worker. And I just love the way it's described in Ezekiel 36 about the Messiah. It says, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. You know, there are real and massive implications of who Jesus claims that he is. He, he is either God or it is all made up. There is, there is no possible in between. And, and I want us to remind, be reminded of some of the previous texts from last week because I think that text will actually help us to understand some of what Jesus is trying to teach us through the transfiguration. If you go back to Mark 8, verse 33, and this is Jesus's response to Jesus, to Peter after Peter rebuked Jesus for Jesus saying that, that Jesus was going to die. And Jesus said, but turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. So, Peter's mind wasn't set on the things of God. His mind is set on the things of God. And I think in this passage, Jesus is through the transfiguration is going to give us some direction on how we set our mind on the things of God. And and then right after that verse, we, we get a call from Jesus to follow him. Verse 34, it says, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. And this, this is a complete kind of following, not a part-time, maybe just on Sundays kind of following. This is a my whole life kind of following, not just sort of an add-on kind of thing. He's expecting our whole life. And I think in this passage with the transfiguration, we get some clues and some direction on how we are to follow Jesus. So let's Let's go ahead and jump right into it. The, the first point, if you're taking notes, you can, you can put this down. It says, how do we set our minds on the things of God? How do we set our minds on the things of God? Let's go ahead and walk through the passage. Verse 2, and after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. That transfigured there, the, the Greek word is the same word that we, we get metamorphosis from. In other words, there is a complete change that has happened in Jesus. We don't know exactly what happened there. 
But we do get a description of it in the next verse, verse 3. And his clothes became radiant, intensely white, as no one on earth could bleach them. And then verse 4, and there appeared to them Elijah and Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. Now, these are two of the most significant people from the Old Testament. You know, many times in the New Testament, the Old Testament is referred to as the law and the prophets. The law, of course, was written by Moses. And Elijah here, he's representative of all the prophets. And some might argue that Elijah might have been one of the most significant prophets of the Old Testament. So here you have the representation in the physical form with Jesus in all of this incredible glory. Elijah and Moses, two of the most significant people from the Jewish history. Look at, we get a clue on this in Luke 24, 27. It says, in the beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he, meaning Jesus, interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. In other words, what Moses wrote and what the prophets wrote was all about Jesus. Jesus was helping his disciples. And this is the point where Jesus had already risen from the dead. And before he had ascended into heaven, he explained to his disciples how, guys, all of that was actually about me. So how do we set our minds on the things of God? We're starting to get a little bit of a clue. Let's read on. Uh, verse 5. And Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good that we are here. Now, let's not forget that this is the moment of all this glory, okay? And, and Peter just blurts out, it's good that we're here. Let us make three tents, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. For he did not know what to say, for they were terrified. And, and I don't know about you guys, but I so appreciate Peter. I mean, this is one of many times that Peter has blurted out stupid stuff. And um, I mean, and, and, and as the president of the Put Your Foot in Your Mouth Club, I mean, I, I just especially appreciate Peter. Um, and, and I don't know what he's thinking right here. I mean, it's like, is he thinking like, wow, let's, let's create some tents for each of them. This is like the actual Feast of Tabernacles. The real one is about to happen. So let's set this up, you know, I don't know what he's thinking, but he just can't help but blurt out something. But but let's be careful. Let's, let's not make too much light of this because it says that they were terrified. They were terrified. I mean, that's that's what they were experiencing because of this glory. And, that, and that's an important note for us because you might be asking yourself, why is it that Jesus showed all this glory right here? Why didn't he do that in all the other interactions that he's had with people? Why doesn't he show that glory to us today? Now, it's important for us to realize that every single time throughout Scripture that God reveals his full glory to people, it strikes total terror and fear into people's hearts. You know, little known fact in the Deuteronomy account of the giving of the Ten Commandments, 
it, it says a very interesting detail in there, and it's, it's recorded in Hebrews as well, where God didn't just write the Ten Commandments on tablets and give them to Moses, and then Moses brought them down to people. God actually had Moses bring all the people right up to the edge of the mountain, and God audibly spoke the Ten Commandments to the entire nation of Israel. And the text says that this scared them so much that they got their leaders together and sent the leaders to Moses and told Moses, never, ever do that again. We would rather, Moses, that you go talk to God and then you can relay to us what God says. But if we hear his voice again, we might die. And then don't forget that when Jesus arrived in his birth, there was an angel choir that appeared in the middle of the night sky to a bunch of shepherds. And the text says that the glory of God shone around them and they were filled with great fear. The reaction when we experience the, the, the full glory of God is not just awe, but terror to the point of thinking we're going to die. And it's important to realize too, that you know, in the New Testament, Jesus is referred to as both a lion, the lion of Judah, and the lamb of God. And the truth is that we need the lamb of God in order to be in the presence of the lion of Judah because of our sin. We, our sin doesn't allow us to be in his presence, so he has to come as the lion. And, and don't forget what, what John the Baptist said when he first saw Jesus coming. Remember, John the Baptist cries out to everybody there, Behold the Lamb of God who's come to take away the sin of the world. And so again, how do we set our minds on the things of God? And, 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 and that's where we are, right? And, and Peter just made this statement that, okay, maybe this is what we should do. And then the God the Father interrupts him in the next moment. It says, And a cloud overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. How do we set our minds on the things of God? We listen to Jesus. We listen to Jesus excuse me, verse 8, and suddenly looking around, they no longer saw anyone that, with them but Jesus only. And I just love that because God the Father says, listen to Jesus. And then in that moment, suddenly, everything clears away. Elijah and Moses disappear and it's just Jesus. They look around and all they see is Jesus. This is like a spotlight from heaven saying, boom, boom. This is your guy. And, 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 and I just love the imagery there. It's like, guys, the place we want to be in our life is that anytime we look around, we only see Jesus. That's where we want to live. So how do we set our minds on the things of God? We listen to Jesus. If he is God, if all the things that he is claiming about himself are true, then we should be seeking out 
and trying to understand and, and hear from what he wants in our life. We want to listen to him. We want to join him in his prayer. Your kingdom come, your will be done in, on earth, in my life, as it is in heaven. And, and guys, I, I just want to just take a moment right now and, and, and make a pitch here for our Bible reading plan that we have. Um, if you go to iathem.com, and some of you have heard of this, some of you may not have heard of this, but iathem.com, our church has got this set up, and we have a Bible reading plan that we're doing together. And again, iathem.com, go into your browser, and you should see here the text for the Sunday that's coming up. So for Sunday, December 6th, and on the left, we've got the study it section. And you might have a reading plan of your own. I, I encourage you to keep doing that. But I also would love for all of us to, four times a week, read the passage that we're going to be studying that coming week. And each day, get yourself a notepad and try to answer each of these questions. What does this passage tell me about God? What does this passage tell me about people? How does this passage point me to the gospel? And how does this passage call me to respond? If you scroll to the bottom of the page, there's a little bit more detail on those questions if you'd like a little bit more help. And then usually we'll all put in uh, you know, some of these gospel project videos, which can be great for introducing and understanding the text. And then we also have been reading through, if you, if you don't have a, a more significant reading plan, we're trying to read through 12 chapters a week as well. And we've been working chronologically through the Old Testament. And we're actually finishing up Mark. I, I put Mark in for a second time. So uh, we're, we're finishing. We're going to read Obadiah, and then you'll see what's next. So anyway, iathem.com. If you go up here, you can, you can click on subscribe. You can add your email address, and we'll email it to you when a new one comes out each week. Um, and mo under mobile, you can add a link on your home screen. Uh, uh, it shows how to do that. Um, and then under resources, you can print off a PDF of a bookmark. So if you want to print off a, a just a you know stick in your Bible, or if you want to see the entire plan, you can you can click on whole plan. And then I've got it set up so that if you click on the link, it takes you to that text for that week. So and if you have the U version app on your your phone, it should take you directly to that um, passage within the app. Okay, so how do we set our minds on the things of God? We listen to Jesus. And continue on, second point. How do we follow Jesus? The answer is by joining him in his mission. Let's go ahead and walk through the passage. Picking back up at verse 9. And as they were coming down the mountain, he charged them to tell no one what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. So they kept the matter to themselves, questioning what this rising from the dead might mean. Okay, so the first thing to keep, take note of is that Jesus comes down with them. And that should make us think about how, you know, even though we sometimes experience these great high moments of, 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 of experiencing God in worship or whatever it might be, he, comes, he wants us to come down off of that to join him in reaching out to people. He doesn't keep the glory. He, he puts back on the Lamb of God. And, and, and again, just to go back to that Lamb of God versus Lion of Judah, we can't imitate the glory of the Lion of Judah and the power and the awesomeness of him. 
but we certainly can follow the example of the Lamb. And the other thing that this passage here tells us is that Jesus's mission is not complete, guys, so don't tell anybody about this until that point, but that gives us a little bit of a clue about what his mission is going to be. And they asked him, why do the scribes say that first Elijah must come? Now, these guys were good Jewish men in that time. They really knew their scriptures, and they knew that the scriptures said that Elijah was going to come and then the end. That's the way their tradition thought of it, because uh, of what was predicted in Malachi. I've got up on the screen, Malachi 4.5. It says, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. So, and, and, and Jesus answers in his next verse the question they have. So, so back to Mark. He said to them, Elijah does come first to restore all things. And, and please note that the very next thing is a question from Jesus. So Jesus is now asking them a question after he answered their question. And how is it written of the Son of Man that he should suffer many things and be treated with contempt? But I tell you that Elijah has come, and they did to him whatever they pleased, as it is written of him. So he's saying that John the Baptist is the fulfillment of that prophecy. And, and I want you to also note his use of the term son of man. He refers to himself as the son of man. The gospel of Mark uses that term. Jesus refers to himself 14 times as the son of man. In this passage, we've got two of those 14. Last week's passage, we had two of those 14. So right in this short section, we've got four mentions of the son of man. Now, normally, you know, most of the time as Christians, we know of Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, excuse me, in theological terms, as the Son of God. That's important and significant and true. But Mark only uses Son of God as a term three times, and none of those times Jesus refers to himself as the Son of God. Now, God the Father, here earlier in the passage, referred to Jesus as his beloved Son, so I'm not taking anything away from that. But the point that I want to make here is that Son of Man is actually a more significant theological point that Jesus is making about himself than to refer to himself just as the Son of God. Because to call himself the Son of Man, he is calling himself the Messiah, the King of Kings. Check out Daniel chapter 7. Huge, huge passages here. Daniel gets these big um, prophecies about um, you know, future events. It says in uh, chapter 7, And as I looked, thrones were placed in the Ancient of Days. That's one of the many names of God in the Old Testament. Took his seat. His clothing was white as snow. Huh, we just saw that, didn't we? And the hair of his head like pure wool. His throne was fiery flames. Its wheels were were burning fire. A stream of fire issued and came out before him. A thousand thousands served him, and ten thousand ten thousand stood before him. The court sat in judgment, and the books 
were open. Wow, what an incredible scene. Then going on a couple more verses. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. That phrase right there in Jewish tradition at their time, that is considered the Messiah. Why is that? Because read on. It says, and he came to the ancient of days, there's the father, and he presented before him. And to him, the son of man, was given dominion and glory and a kingdom and, and that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. The Son of Man reference is more significant than for Jesus to call himself the Son of God. And it is super important also to realize that here in this passage of Mark, he is saying that the Son of Man is prophesied to suffer many things. So not only is he saying that he is the Son of Man, the Messiah, the King of Kings, but he, the Son of Man, is going to suffer on our behalf. How do we follow Jesus? Just like John the Baptist followed Jesus and followed his path towards suffering to bring other people to God by, by joining Jesus in his mission. You know, the Wizard of Oz was an ordinary man who was cloaked in, in sleight-of-hand uh, trickery. But Jesus is the Son of Man, cloaked as just an ordinary person. But as I thought about it more, I really think there's a number of other things that show us a contrast between the Wizard of Oz and the Son of Man. If you remember, Dorothy and her friends, they sought out the help of the wizard. Whereas Jesus, the Son of Man, he seeks us out in order to help us. The Wizard of Oz promised them that he would help them if they proved themselves worthy. Jesus, the Son of Man, proves himself worthy in order to help and to serve us. The Wizard of Oz asked them to vanquish his enemy, the Wicked Witch. But Jesus, on our behalf, vanquishes the enemy on our behalf. Guys, whenever you think of the Wizard of Oz, I want you to think of the transfiguration and how much greater Jesus is. The Wizard of Oz rules from a glorious city by sleight of hand in order to fool people into doing his dangerous bidding at no cost to himself. He can only offer common knowledge to draw out what he already what we already possess. Jesus leaves his place of glory in order to serve us. He does this by suffering in our place so that we can share in his glory. He invites us to follow him by suffering for others to bring them to the same glory. Behold, 
My servant shall act wisely. He shall be highly high and lifted up and shall be exalted. As many were astonished at you, his appearance was so marred beyond human semblance for his form beyond that of the children of mankind. So shall he sprinkle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths because of him. For that which has not been told them they see, that which they have not heard they understand. Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed, and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth, like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people? And they made his grave with the wicked and with the rich man in his death, although he had done no violence, and there was no deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offering, offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us.